This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Geekscape is it's day three here on the Comic Con floor at the Comic Con booth, and our good friend Burke Sharpless is here. We all we already heard from Matt, his co-writer. Uh, we have a panel later on today, all about Netflix's Lost in Space, which you all should have. If you're listening to Geekscape, you all should have watched that. They were the creators on the show. We're going to be breaking it down in our panel. I'm going to try and record it for you folks. So tell your friends to subscribe to the show. Um, but Burke is here. He's kind of getting the flavor of Geekscape. He and Matt have already talked about Phantasm. So that's, uh, there's nothing more Geekscape than that. Um, but he's also experienced the floor, which I haven't got a good chance to do. Uh, what have you been picking up, finding, discovering? What are some highlights here at Comic-Con? Well, I'm one of the rare people who collects comics and comes to Comic-Con and buys comics. So everything is overpriced. But... Not everything is overpriced. <laughs> Most things are overpriced, but you've actually found some gems here. I did. I found some gems here. You know, it's if if uh, Kevin Feige's listening, you should do a Bloodstone movie. You should do Kill Raven, War of the Worlds. Uh, he's Warrior of the Worlds. Yeah. Yeah. They don't want to get totally sued. You're in Marvel, where you wore underpants and high boots. But your skin showed, and you're, you usually didn't wear a shirt. And uh, this, everybody knows about those guys. Yeah, Doctor Strange. So you're getting some like really classic Silver Age kind of stuff. Yeah, he's got somehow the straps like have like little laces, and then he's got these high boots that go over his knees. This is the way in like 1975. This this rocked out. And the cool thing about this is he also have a, he has a sword, but how does he sheath the sword? Without snipping off what little of his outfit, right? Like, you'd think that the second he puts his sword away, his panties are coming off. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think you... What you do when you're a guy like that is you throw the sword away once it's tasted blood. <laughs> Martian blood. Yeah, once it's tasted Martian blood. And then what happens is you pick up some new weapon, you know, probably like some long spear that has, like, energy that's bluish that kind of hovers around the end of the spear. You uh, have a... You have, like, a... Uh, like a, you love these 1970s comics. That's kind of like what you were growing up on when you first got into comics. Yeah, absolutely. So it was. I have a great short story of my dad bringing me to uh, back in the old days when comics didn't sell. They would rip the covers off, and the uh, drugstore could sell it back and get like two cents. For yeah, like bookstores could also do yeah. that. They just rip them off, be like, "Hey, this came damaged. It didn't sell. Give it back to us," exactly. and they get a little bit of their money back. So I'm five years old in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and my dad takes me to uh, a warehouse where they have all the comics that had been, the cover's been already torn off. And the guy said, yeah, for a buck, you can take as many as you want. So we went around a warehouse and took the one off the top of each pile until we had, we couldn't carry anymore, put them in the back of the car. And I just, before I could read, I would just page through them at age four and five. 
And as you started to learn to read, you start piecing these things together. It probably helped you learn to read. I remember sitting in a square in Ajijic, Mexico. When I was 26 and I finally learned to read. When you were 26 and finally started to learn to read. I just remember sitting there and knowing Spanish, knowing how to speak Spanish, and piecing it all together with a bunch of Donald Duck comics in Mexico and being like, oh, this sounds, oh, got it. And I learned to read Spanish from those little miniature Mexican comics, the reprints of the American stuff. And that's probably what you were doing as well. Um, with, like... A, uh, a love of these 70s ones, um, you're now getting a chance to write some Marvel characters from that same period. You wrote the Morbs. We talked to Matt about Morbius. I did. I no, listen, we said everything we needed to say about <laughs> how I, enjoy, I did enjoy that movie. So, and I said it on, on, on the earlier episode, two episodes ago, Geekscapist, if you want to find it. I also said it on our Morbius special that I, really, that I actually enjoyed watching that movie a bit. Um, but what were you going to say? I'm sorry, Bert. So here's what's great about that Morbius movie. That was one of those things where we sat down and we kind of freaked out uh, the executives about how into it he pretended to be into it, how into it I was, and actually brought Morbius comics to say, this is one of the first comics I ever got. I love this character. I get it. Uh, and I'm, they should not have made the movie, probably. But I think they just did because of the passion of the creators. <laughs> It's your fault. No, I'm kidding. I have to thank you because I had fun with my buddies Ian and, jo and Justin watching the movie. So you know, I think it was worth it. a couple it. things about the movie that didn't get talked about, which whether or not you liked it or not doesn't really matter. It's actually super loyal to the 70s take on the character. And I don't really like read social media, but I hope a few people pointed that out. Like he like gets turned on the boat. Uh, he's he's like super tortured. But he doesn't super care that he kills people. He's sort of like selfishly tortured. Like that's exactly the character. And he's not super likable, to be honest. Yeah. Because he'll kill people and he feels sorry for himself for exactly like 45 minutes. <laughs> like he drops to his knees and says, not again. But he does it but some more. That is, not, that is not honorable. Yeah, but at the same time, <laughs> how many seasons of like Dexter do we get, right? And Dexter was that person, who, you know, you watch Dexter and at the end of every Dexter season, it was like, I only hurt the ones I love. I can't silence this voice. Da, da, da. Beginning of the next episode of the next season, Dexter's like, here we go again. Or he's like dumping bodies off the side of his boat. And there's so that anti hero that we've had, we've kind of been conditioned to with shows like Dexter, is that it would Morbius have worked more as that kind of conflicted? more exp you can explore a character more. Is that a series character? Well, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of the. Think most of what happens when you see a movie or a show, it's the point of the shows are an embodiment of the most powerful person who makes it. So whoever makes a movie, the most powerful person is supposed to be the director. If it's not, if it's the studio, that's not healthy. But it, they have a point of view about why the movie should exist, and that permeates the movie. And in TV or streaming, the showrunner, their point of view, their moral point of view permeates the very texture of how the protagonist walks through the show. And that's why TV is so cool lately, is that there's been space for these showrunners to... Base, here's the thing. Dexter was judged by the show all the time. We saw that he was making mistakes, and the people in the writer's room, I'm sure, were like, he is not a great guy, but we love him because we want him to change. I'm sure that's what they said in the writer's room because that's what the show was. That's what Matt and I said to each other when we wrote Morbius. And then in its journey to becoming a movie, uh, the point of view about what he was or why he was cool enough to be in a movie, I do think evolved and may have evolved in a way that wasn't exactly what Matt and I wrote. But I think that's just because movies are, movies are the vision of the director and the they're actually, they're the vision of the director and the movie star, always. So if you see a movie like Raiders of the Lost Ark that works out, that's because Spielberg and Harrison Ford had the same picture. And so literally every movement, every camera shot, every sound cue channels the point of view. And point of view is why we like uh, scripted media. Yeah, and... We, and also why we like those strong antiheroes. We're waiting for Walter White to just pull up from crashing and burning his entire life and seeing if he'll maybe get away with it. It's double indemnity, right? It's these things where it's like, okay, this character has found himself in an inescapable spiral, but maybe he'll get out of it. You've got another movie over there. You've got Madame Web that they're filming and that's a, an experience you probably they, I think they're filming it they keep casting it usually when I see these casting notices they just add, added like Adam Scott I'm like oh then he's showing up then he's in then he's showing up note like if they're going to the release it they're about, showing it note to the world about screenwriters they don't email you yeah. about what's happening in the movie 
after you're not working on the movie. So I, Matt periodically will show me like his phone and be like, oh, check out what's happening with Madam Web. I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, no, you know, we worked on it a couple years ago. Yeah. And um, it's just another chance to explore some of these characters that aren't Spider-Man, aren't the Hulk, aren't the marquee characters. And you, I feel like these, um, at, at least audiences, should look at them as kind of like rent-free swings of the bat. Like, oh, you, you know what? Like, go and see if it works. See if it works. Because we know that eventually Spider-Man is going to make a movie that's awesome. Even if it has a couple that aren't, we're going to know that, like, maybe you didn't like the second Thor movie. But, it's, but Thor's a big character. He's going to come back as a chance to the third. Some of these other characters that are lesser known, I do feel like... Audiences should just use them as discoveries. They should just go without any of the predilections from having it on the side of a, of a lunchbox. I agree with you. Like, what's the word on the street with a lesser character? Because some people get grumpy about it, I feel like. Is there a lot of grumpiness about lesser known characters? Well, it's like, it's like, oh, why the hell are they making a Madame Web one? And I think the healthier response is, okay, let's see. I, I do want to okay, let's see. Out. I've been in working in this industry for a while, and I remember in the early 2000s, Studios passed on Iron Man because he's obscure. Okay. Yeah, it was over at Artisan. Remember, it was a. It was at like where was it? It was at Artisan. It had a little bit of Captain America was at Artisan. All, Artisan had all those characters. Yeah. They they weren't able to do anything with it. And Captain America sold pretty well in underwear and toys, but was way less than Spider Man. And Iron Man was barely a toy and barely underwear. Okay, so the, a lot of it was. Do kids wear? Do kids sleep on Iron Man sheets? And if you can't say the answer is yes, no studio in town is going to make that movie. Obviously, kids slept on Batman sheets. They slept on Superman sheets. They slept on Spider-Man sheets. Everybody always knew that was the judge. Are they sleep? Kids sleeping on the sheets? Can we sell the movie? And Iron Man was. I don't want to say it was a big swing, but for the budget when they made it, it was a huge swing. And now it's like, well, obviously. I mean, there was no. If you, what was it? Any cool news? That was the one that existed. Yes, the first time I saw those X Men costumes will, in like '99, I was like, "This is gonna stink." And the movie was great. And I will never do that again on the internet. If you were a weird internet researcher, I bet you could find comment threads on any cool news that why would you make an Iron Man movie? He's not a big character. I, I, there must have been comments, right? I said that when I saw those first X Men. When I saw those X Men costumes, I was like, "X Men? How are you making those X Men? There's no yellow on them." They made fun of me in the movie. And I saw the movie, I thought it was awesome, and I won't do it ever again. It's like, let all these characters, just let these, just, the answer isn't less fun comic, the, the answer isn't less comic book movies. Could you convince somebody to do Strange Tales 176, The Gollum? No, you know, you would have to honor Jewish heritage, by the way. I'm Jewish, so I, I couldn't talk about that, but... Yeah, I don't think you're going to have it not be about Jewish heritage, but here's the thing. The thing that walks like a man, not the thing. <laughs> yeah, the, the cover of it says the thing that walks like a man, like, the I golem. Love, I love the Marvel characters that are so obscure that could you actually, it's a challenge. Will this eventually be a show? You know, having Elsa, having Bloodstone, you're probably going to get his daughter. You're probably going to get Elsa Bloodstone. You're a real comic guy. Yeah, and you're probably going to get Elsa Bloodstone as a spinoff of like the Blade and Black Knight storyline that they may be leading to in the comics oh, and this and that. You know your stuff. That's good. I didn't think of that. Welcome Why do to. Why you know so much? Uh, uh, I didn't have. How do you know so much? Well, I, don't, I, don't know. <laughs> I, I um I don't know. I, I think I like I think. About Elsa Bloodstone. Yeah, Elsa Bloodstone is Bloodstone's daughter, and she's the current she's the current like vampire hunter and, and monster hunter. In the comics, and she's actually showing up in a video game in so the I fall. Have a horrible blind spot that I stopped collecting comics, like in 2000, and am hor- horrifically unaware of them after that. I like have like an encyclopedic knowledge of like comics from like 1979, yeah. and then it all unravels. Elsa Bloodstone. Yeah, you would get along well with Ian, who does the, some of the deep dives with me, because y'all are pro- y'all are. I mean, you're you're not that much older than me, and Ian isn't either. Y'all would. He grew up in the same era. He had all those books. Um, he just sold his entire collection of Mile High comics to pay for a house. He had so many of those Silver Lake comics. You guys would get along really well. And literally, the down payment on like a, a house in Studio City, in Studio City, like came from selling most of his, I think, all of his collection of Mile High comics. And there were some real zingers in there, like the entire run of the Spideys and stuff like that. It's funny. I bet that that was a good move financially because I think. The values of comics are arcing along with the popularity of the movies, and they're always going to be valuable. But we've seen prices that are—it's like you know, because buying these things is like passion, it makes you feel a feeling as a kid, yeah. right? Like, oh, we were—I was talking about Phantasm and watching it in a drive-in movie theater when I was like eight, mm-hmm. and that's like an emotion. 
when Matt and I write, we try to, I mean, if you want to talk about writing, like, we find those childhood bits of emotion, and, like, we always talk about, like, our way in. And you have to, and when you do the uh, panel today, you can say, well, hopefully I can talk about my way in for Lost in Space. That'd be a good thing to ask me. I will, I will definitely ask that. Um, and, uh, you know, he'll have a way in. And um, I had a way in with Morbius, which is I remembered buying those coverless comics with that. And so I remembered the picture of him running with Manwolf to his left. And that was like a way that I could like go through the trauma of writing a script for a studio because it's traumatic and hard and bleak. I was writing about gamers playing like this may have been a gay Murano. This is a gay Murano project. This is somebody who worked with Gabe, who's a mutual friend of ours. Yeah. <laughs> and that person's not work. I don't. I've never heard from that person again. But uh, they gave a note. Hey, I keep reading about this thing, Halo. What's what? What is this Halo? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, just this is uh, 2007 or eight. Geeks gave us. Oh, you know, just the one of the big launch like titles that they're putting the whole Xbox 360 out on, and the whole thing that we're the whole reason we're making this media was for that new channel, the new Xbox that was supposed to have the, the whole TV thing yeah. and the whole, me, it was supposed to be your media center and I get the note from a Fox executive, What? hey, this Halo thing keeps coming up. And the point is, Geekscape is, they got jobs, they get reports that they have to justify what they've done in those jobs so they can keep getting paid and so sometimes they send notes without the notes being fully prepared for the eyes of people who are actually in the trenches. and. It happens. You know what? I'm going to come to your job, and I'm going to be like, hey, what's up with IL-3? Why is it sloppy? Like, you know, I have to give notes. You know, does that make sense? Like, people had to, they have to get notes to justify their paycheck. I got that fucking, I got that note. It was nuts. But, yeah, working with studios, it, it happens. Some people aren't as invested or researched on the project say, to say, like, oh, Elsa Bloodstone. That's not, I actually have to say that I've been pretty lucky with Matt. We've had really great executives who give great notes or good notes or as good a notes as anybody um the reason it's hard is because of the trauma of things changing and you can't keep up with what the new like the edict the edict of why the movie's being made is why it's traumatic like somewhere deep in like some secret cave that runs you know uh, disney or sony that's way above the executive that you're on a first name basis with will be oh we would really like to have a movie that um has a lot of special effects. Like, they make these things that, by the way, you have no idea. Like, oh. But that's what gets people in the theaters is the spectacle of the trailer. Like, spectacle movies aren't working. Because, like, say, Battleship came out, right? So after Universal made Battleship, there was an edict that spectacle movies weren't working. And if you're writing a movie that's supposed to be a $210 million spectacle movie, they're like, can it be more character-driven? That's what's really hard about being a screenwriter. It's not that somebody tells you to make a script to be bad, because I want to say, honestly, they never... They, they have jobs because they read books and watch movies and they love The Godfather like everybody else. What happens is it'll be like, so we're really trying to have this movie be half as expensive and really just really be like a family comedy. And you're like, you're aware that it's about a guy with a sword who kills witches. Or Kill Raven. He runs around in his undies <laughs> killing Martians. But the movie that they're pivoting got greenlit following a trend that was another movie. So... The battleship got made because another big Transformers. because Transformers yeah. and you have another big fr- toy to to screen franchise, but Transformers comes out and Transformers can be Transformers, but if Battleship comes out, suddenly everything that wanted to be Transformers, which may have also been those GI Joe movies that Paramount was making, had they have to shift, and it's like well. I think every, it, 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 it's tough because you have to, the stockholders are who you answer to. There are weird, somebody's making a, a decision about those kinds of shifts. They're like ultra shifts. I remember um, we were, rewrote a Flash Gordon script, Matt and I, a couple years ago. And um, it was actually had a lot of momentum for a while at the studio. Everybody but then what did John Carter do to it? And then John Carter came out. And there you go. There you go. It, it does not take a lot of paleontology to figure out how this, <laughs> you know, how this worked. I mean... I didn't know the story of what happened with your your Flash Gordon, but I no, knew, but I knew that, but I knew the timeline. And John Carter comes out, and that's kind of very Flash Gordon. And I know that's what happened. And that's probably why Disney won't do Kill Raven either. Uh, and yet, if you said that Kill Raven was going to be like, you can you can pitch things in different that have different. Like, yes, put Kill Raven on the Guardians as a cosmic hero, 
as an intro, and you may get a little bit of running room to make a Guardians uh, to to get Kill Raven as a Guardian. By the way, full full disclosure, nobody's. We're just making stuff up. We're just making stuff up, guys. Kill Raven movie. I just want to. <laughs> Maybe you can put Kill Raven in a movie, like they're gonna put Elsa Bloodstone uh, see, in a movie. Don't think I bet she is in Blade. I think we're gonna get. I think we're gonna get a. I think we're gonna get a Dark Stalkers like that kind of dark whatever they're called the Bloodsucker whatever they are. We're gonna get a monster hunting team. We're gonna get like a Dark. We're gonna get. We're well. We're gonna end up getting a team. I think because it's an easier sell. You know, we can figure. We're. I think we're gonna end up getting a Blade, a Black Knight, and maybe an Elsa Bloodstone team movie under Blade as the lead kind of sell point. And and then they're going to be fighting monsters in the Marvel universe. That's just my prediction. I just made it up just now talking to you. Yeah, I actually am not friends with anybody over at Disney, so I know nothing. But I'm going to. I think I've made enemies over at Disney. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, that's a that's a good pitch for that movie. Well, if you're listening, take it because I honestly you can take it because. Literally, you can take it. Here's, by the way, yeah, cut, you don't need to do shit with me. Two six p.m. and I'm like, over in the comic area, like, can I buy an Elsa Bloodstone? That's like, that's by the way, this is gonna happen. If Matt was here, would be like, I know where this is leading. She's literally in video games at this point. <laughs> she is in multiple video games at this point. Um, and diversity's hot. You got a redhead in the movie that you wrote called Madame Web. She's a redhead. Hey, maybe start a trend or. God forbid the Madame Web movie not do well. And they're like, get Elsa Bloodstone out of the film. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. no, no. no. They, she won't be in that because she's not owned by Sony. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I exactly. List. Over at Disney, they'll be like, get Elsa Bloodstone out of that Blade movie. I have seen the Sony super list of who is who. The, I mean, I think it's actually online. But I know who it, it is. It's essentially, with some exceptions, who has appeared or appeared for the first time in a Spider-Man movie. Right, so that's what Craven and yeah, you got those. Get the Punisher, I don't think. No. He was, like, too expensive. Um, they didn't get... There's some and, other and Punisher was one of those artisan... Uh, or, wasn't it Artisan Studios or whatever it was that had all those Marvel characters that didn't get bought? Is Punisher yeah. the only big character that appeared in Spider-Man first who's not at Sony, though? Is he the only one? That's a good... That's a fun, like, super, like, geek question... That you should be able to tell me. Because Man Wolf didn't launch in a Spider Man comic. He just happened to be the son of. He's in Spider Man. He, I mean, and he's in Spider Man too. No, the, the he appears for the first time in Spider Man 124. He does. So Man Wolf would be one of those characters that is you know, a Spider Man character. But but but, uh, but 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 Man Wolf is but Man Wolf is also J. Jonah James. It's J. Jonah Jameson's son. He technically was in Raimi's Spider Man too. He was about to marry Mary Jane. I actually said to them at Sony, like, let, we want to do a Manwolf movie. We got polite smiles. You know, maybe somebody's working on it as we know right now. Sooner or later, the, uh, Bert, we, we're going to talk. We, 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 listen, we could do a three-hour Geekscape. We got a panel. Me, if they want me. We got a panel. And if and Sony, if you want a Manwolf movie that maybe also launches Man-Thing. No, I think Mar- no, Man, no, I think Man-Thing's over at Marvel. I know, you, I know, Man-Thing's I know. I'm messing with you. I know. Yeah, Man, I think Man-Thing's going to appear, especially in that Bloodstone Blade Black Knight story, but um, we'll talk. All right, Raymond, dude, you're so Geekscape material. I am so Geekscape. I'm like, I'm like deep. <laughs> when our friend Derek Miller got us together, I think he, Derek Miller, Geekscape, he's been on longtime Geekscapes. Uh, he he was like, I don't think he realized this kind of chemistry was going to happen. He was like, oh, Jonathan will do a good job. He didn't know we were going to completely cripple our social lives being this geeky. And here's what's interesting. A lot of people who were listening to this podcast turned it off a while ago. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, well, no, it's been 16 years. They turned it off years ago. (laughs) They turned it off off sometime around episode 98. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. Geekscapers, we'll be back here from the floor, from the booth. Hang tight. Geekscape is I'm back on the Comic-Con floor. I stopped for lunch. And uh, how good was Burke Sharpless, co-writer of, uh, co-creator of the Netflix Lost in, in Space? And he had a lot to say about Morbius. Yep, they wrote that Morbius movie. And, uh, you know, we're going to keep talking about the Morbs. And because we'll probably be talking to Burke and Matt again because they wrote, cause they wrote uh, Madame Web which is oh. filming right now, and uh, we'll have them back maybe up on the show to talk about Madame Web. Maybe Sony has to approve it or not. I don't know how that stuff works. Uh, speaking of uh, work with the, the Mouse House, 
My good friend Yehudi Mercado. Oh, sorry, I butchered that. Is I'm going to lose my Hispanic license. Yehudi Mercado, Mercado is here. A fellow Texan, and he just signed at the Geekscape booth. And uh, I fought through the throng of guests to uh, to get back to my booth and interview the man, uh, Yehudi. Uh, well, you're promoting all sorts of stuff. You have a free comic book day uh, issue out here that you're doing some stuff with. What is that? Uh, that was the free comic book day thing for Oni Press two years ago, <laughs> when then the pandemic happened, and then and then the Oni stuff happened, and then Oni imploded. Yeah, it's been quite a ride. Um, okay, so what's going to happen to Geekscape that you've now touched the Geekscape? Because this is what happens: it's falling around like Oni Comics. And then what happened with the Lion Forge Oni comic stuff? Kind of, and, and that's kind of in the family too because I wrote for Lion Forge, and um, and yeah, if you, if you geeks give us don't know, like Lion Forge and Oni, some, Oni, some stuff got laid off. Some people got laid off, and a lot of people they clean, kind of cleaned house, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Apparently, so they Oni merged with Lion Forge like two and a half years ago, and then even that initial merger was really rough they laid off a bunch of like lion forge people and then everybody thought it was going fine and then suddenly james lucas jones and charlie chu those are my guys like they believed in me saifu before anyone else did suddenly they get fired and it's like and they were like there for like 20 years oh yeah i mean oni was about to celebrate their 25th anniversary like at comic-con and what is oni without james lucas jones and without charlie it's it's insane. Uh, behind the scenes, we share entertainment lawyers, those guys and I. And I got some lowdown. It will not be on Geekscape. But having not met those guys, he speaks super huge of them. And that's just the way it is. So, like, the, I just see on Twitter how nasty it was getting because Lion Forge and Oni, the, there was a lot of blowback for firing them and for really clearing house. There was some diversity that was got, that was fired too. Diversity. And then you could tell that they got rid of their PR and marketing because that statement from Lion Forge was not well. Yeah, um, Yehudi, you've also been experiencing. You've been doing some of your own PR and marketing. You've been doing some of your own. Uh, what, what's going on there? Are you entering into the uh, public? Are you becoming a publicist? Are you doing some marketing of yourself? I saw you do a, a, a like a little bit of a press release, or uh, you know, just speaking to the audience, just being candid. Um, I'm being a little facetious. Um, but I am also somebody who like read all five issues of the What If Miles Morales series. That's like Miles Morales is Wolverine, Miles Morales is Captain America, Miles Morales is the Hulk, Miles Morales as Thor, and then ultimately the, them teaming up as a Miles Morales What If. Uh, this happened recently in the comics, like very recently in the comics. Geeks gave us it culminates as them teaming up together to uh, to you know save the multiverse. Um, and it spins out of the current Miles Morales storyline where there's multiverses that Miles is going through and this and that. Yehudi wrote the Miles Morales Thor issue, and I, I think I think things were controversial. Or how I'm going to let you run with this, and you tell me as much as you want to tell me. Yeah, it was really uh, it was really a shock. So like you know, I think the whole project was flawed from the beginning because like even just the premise of a what if. Miles Morales became like Captain America. Like, you could have Miles Morales have the same childhood, grow up in the same, you know, parents, and then he gets the super soldier serum, and then he becomes Captain America. Whereas mine, Thor, it's not like there's a, he gets bitten by a hammer and then becomes, you know, Thor. So I had to, the premise alone was sort of like, was flawed. It didn't fit in with the others as it was. So I was, you know, I'm a fan of old school hip hop. You know, my book Saifu is set in the 80s and all about old school hip hop. So I thought it would be interesting to bring the Brooklyn aspect of Miles and have Asgard be Brooklyn. So that was sort of like what I was playing with. But I stepped into an arena I should not have. I didn't know the history of like the fan outcry that there was no black writers on the ongoing Miles book. I was just oblivious to all that. So, like, I shouldn't have even taken the gig in the first place. But I don't know. I, I just yeah. didn't do my homework. And so the reaction was uh, very decided. And, you know, I do uh, points were brought up that I was like, yeah, that was totally tone deaf. That was a really stupid decision on my part. 
But then there were a lot of arguments that were like bad faith arguments that I was like, okay, you're really reaching and painting me into a corner that, you know, like you're trying to set a narrative that I felt was unfair. Yeah, and I, I texted you when I started seeing that stuff blow up. And I texted you, and I was like, what the fuck? I mean, listen, I read that stuff, and man, you nerds just care too much about comics. I'm just going to tell you straight up, like, the book was fine, and, um, you know, maybe that's insensitive for me to say, uh, but there are a lot of battles. Maybe you have to, maybe you have to fight those, those battles against cultural insensitivity. You have to fight them on every front. Maybe that's really the truth, is that if, if you start to have a lax attitude with it, of which I was just guilty of, like, maybe that is where the weeds start to grow up and put cracks in the foundations. So, yes, I will actually say that. Um, that being said, man, I did text you and be like, fuck, man, keep your head up. I don't even know what any, like, this is, this sounds pretty intense. And like you said, there's some bad faith actors yeah. who are like, oh, the momentum's headed and yeah. I can jump on the bandwagon and let's just pile on your hoodie. So the, the initial backlash, you know, everyone thought I was white, first of all. I'm Mexican. With the name Mercado, it's very, it's actually, well, why wouldn't you write a Thor book? It's almost Nordic, right? The Mercado name is very Nordic. And I thought you were blonde hair, blue eyes when I first saw you. I was like, who else could write this Thor book than this Aryan savior, right? No, what the fuck? Yeah, you are a Jewish Mexican. So, like, the, you know, my initial snarky backlash on Twitter was in a reaction to everyone assuming I was white and just being like, what, are you kidding me? Like... And now I'm not Mexican enough. So like You're talking to a Mexican dude with the last name London. You don't got to play that game with me, pal. Uh, yeah, yeah, you don't got to play that game with me. London, the whitest city. Uh, Very high Indian population. I want to say that. Yeah. Not Mexican population. So uh, so that felt like out of nowhere. And then, and then it really bothered me that there was one line in particular that everyone, you know, like, highlighted as the worst of the worst and it was the by Odin's fade line I didn't write that that was an issue five by another writer it wasn't even in my issue so like when people were like bringing that up and like doing screenshots of that it's like did you read my issue that's not even in there like so it was like and then the more I tried to fight back the more I looked like the asshole so it's like a no-win situation so what we're gonna do is we're gonna find out what shit went down in another booth and we're gonna ask you to leave it's like that. Yeah. It's like, oh, two rows over, someone just stabbed somebody with a pen, Harry Potter, Tall H style, and Yehudi is violently attacking people over at the Geekscape booth. Do you think you can start some controversy to get people to the booth? Is that potentially like, maybe can you, can, can you cancel us? So when you, bank, when you destroyed Oni, and you were like, let me now try and destroy Marvel, power hungry? A little bit. I'm like, yeah, I might as well see the world burn. Like, <laughs> damn, dude! I'm fucking. I'm sorry. It just like some of this stuff. You you put out what you put out, and I'm not. Again, I'm not saying anything about like. You know, we do have a responsibility as creators to be sensitive and to be informed in that stuff. But this is also a team, and I don't want to blame the rest of the team or this and that. But yeah, like this, dude, you got crucified. Yeah. And like, and the other part that really no no uh, knowing that you were crucified did it bring you closer to the Jewish faith? Because because there was some crucifixion going on there. Most famous Jew that got crucified. So I, I, he and I are. Do you like being on Geekscape where Jonathan just says stupid shit? Is that all right? Did you miss us? I did. I do miss us. Why did I come to Comic Con? Yeah. <laughs> Kings gave us, I don't know if this is even a good interview because we're making light of stuff that we shouldn't make light of sometimes. Maybe. Is there any other choice than to make light of some of this? Like working in kid lit, middle grade books, you know, I was trying to have fun with my, I didn't realize like how serious everyone takes mainline Marvel comics. Like that adult nerds are scary. Like Adult nerds are the scariest. I thought you'd been cast as a female Star Wars character in one of the films. They were coming after you so bad. I was like, yeah, get them out of my, not my Star Wars. Not my Star Wars. Uh-uh, I ain't getting no Yehudi Mercado in there. Could you imagine they cast a dude named Yehudi Mercado in a Star Wars movie? The internet would crack in half. You'd have incels coming out your ears. And then that's what was, like, when I would tell people, like, I'd reach out to my friends. I'm like, are you seeing this, you know, what's happening? 
the initial reaction is like, oh, are the racists mad at you that you made a black Thor? Like that, like that's what everyone legitimately thought was. And you could understand it's a Norse god, and he's black now. Um, and if anybody's gonna be the assholes on the internet, it's probably gonna be those dudes. Yeah. And then when I told them no, they think I'm the racist one. Like, uh, you know, it was totally up. You know, I'm outspoken online. I'm like, you know, very anti-Trump, very anti-MAGA. Like, racism is like the one thing we're not dealing with at all in this country. So. Wait, you're equating the two? No, I'm kidding. What if in the pandemic I turned into like a MAGA, like QAnon, be like, listen, I, I traced it back to the source. The Constitution says, yeah, you can print your own money. Junior is coming back. and yeah. So like then to be the Internet's like racist punching bag like for a couple of weeks was like, I don't know. I mean, on one hand, like I couldn't take it personally because like, you know, like that wasn't the intent. The I see where some of the arguments are coming from, but a lot, you know, things like specifically like when people are like, "Oh, there's graffiti in Asgard," I'm like, "I love street art. I go to museums with street art. Like, I love street art. Like, to me, graffiti didn't equate gang ghetto violence. Like." That in itself may be a racist thing to say. It's like, what? Oh, this must be the race. Oh no, I can't even finish that sentence. I know, and that's what—that's what really like broke my heart. Was like, oh, you see, a magical version of Brooklyn. There's not like it doesn't. It did not look like a ghetto. Like we made sure, like it wasn't even in the brain. Like it's still gold inspired. Right, and like for people to th- see that and instantly think gang-ridden ghetto I was like holy shit like it's like I was arguing with like Republicans in the 80s like that oh graffiti means gang and like it was it was insane it was so how'd you contribute to violence in Chicago crime in Chicago let's talk about no I'm kidding uh and if anything like if there if you know Jewish people had ghettos it's a Yiddish word you're talking to a Jewish guy you're criticizing a Jewish guy yeah, hoodie, this is nasty. And that's also like when, you know, they still thought I was white. And it's like, it's almost, it kind of felt like, you know, what happened to Aquafina. Like, Aquafina got taken to task for, like, using black, you know, her accent, her black scent when she was rapping. And it's like, okay, you took her down. Good for you. That Who does that help? You know, like, part of me is like, okay, yeah, maybe she shouldn't have done that, but that's where she grew up in Queens, so, like, she was sort of, like, emulating the people she was around. But, like, okay, good for you. You took her down. Now what? Like, who wins in that situation? Like, you're just helping the racists. Like, See, they're on my side. Uh, Geekscapus, let's turn things around. Let's talk to you, Hoodie, about, like, what he's got coming up. Yeah, so uh, while all that was happening, then the complete opposite greatness was happening when I launched Chunky Goes to the Camp. So I had a middle grade book last year come out called Chunky. It's all about my time as a fat kid in Houston, Texas. Oh, you're going to get canceled for that too. Fat shamer. (laughs) Well, (laughs) uh, there were a couple of people who read the proposal thinking it was going to be making fun of fat kids. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, read the full thing. It's body positivity. It's like... And that you would pitch that to kids. I'm going to take this book, Making Fun of... like overweight kids in the age of anti-bullying and all this and you're gonna pitch yeah. as if that was your pitch yeah who even assumes this crap i know it was so weird. people have umbrage with anything they wake up and they like they don't even have to stub their toe to wait to, to like, like wait to talk this crap because now it's become a thing but when i was pitching it like the only thing was like judy bloom's blubber and like that the fat girl in that is not even the main character like it's all making fun of her like so it's like yeah it was very weird so chunky HarperCollins came out great, like huge hit, took my career to a whole new level. And then the sequel, Chunky Goes to Camp, came out this past June. June? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a month removed. Uh, Yehudi Goes to Camp, and it's a scholastic book. It's no, for what? Uh, it's, it's what? HarperCollins. Uh, HarperCollins, but I, um, I was going to say you can, you can get it for what age groups? Uh, it's like six and up, I believe. Yeah, middle grade. Yeah. How much graffiti is on the walls in the Chunky Goes to Camp? Did the camp have graffiti on the walls? Well, what's funny is, so I took real life stories of my childhood. So, like, 
Uh, when I was in the eighth grade, I went to a new school in Houston, Blyle uh, Junior High. And for some reason, the, the vice principal was, had it out for me, like did not like me. I would doodle like my little, you know, biker gang looking rat characters. And like he thought I was in a gang. Like, and so a real story was like, he takes me out of lunch. He's like, come with me. He takes me out to the side of the school, points to graffiti up on the wall. And he says, I have good authority that someone saw you drive a van, a blue van, up onto school property and spray paint this on the wall. I'm in eighth grade at this point. Like, <laughs> I'm like, first of all, I don't have access to a van. Second, I don't know how to drive. Third, I would have drawn something much better than that. Like, so like, this is a real thing that happened. So like, that's all in Chunky Goes to Camp. So like, yeah. <laughs> in the eighth grade, the only access you'd have to a van is if somebody asked you to help them find their dog, and then you would never be yeah. seen again. Exactly. That's the most access to a van you could have had in the eighth grade. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you listen. We wish we could say that we could have turned things around for you, but you were signing at the Geekscape booth. So, that being said, I hope things now turn around for you, because here at booth 3919, you've hit the bottom. So things are nothing, nothing but, nothing but, the, but up from here on out. Yep, you you are have literally signed at the bottom of the uh, Geekscape uh, booth, and here are the the panel. I mean, Matt probably talked your ear off about horror movies, but that's the way it is here at Geekscape. And so, yeah. Dude, thank you so much, dude. Thank you for having me. Thanks. We love you. Geekscape us. We're wrapping things up at the Geekscape booth, but we got one last appearance autograph session right here before the doors close at 7. And who better than some of Geekscape's own? From Matt Mania, we've got Megaran. Yo, it's Megaran. And our friend T-Call. How y'all doing? It's T Card, the villain in the building. In Comic Con, what up? Does Comic Con know that the villain is in the building? Um, d no, they don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of villains walking around, man. There's a lot of villains walking around. It's Comic Con. We got heroes and villains. We got everything in between. What has your experience been at Comic Con today and yesterday? Like y'all got here yesterday. What have y'all experienced while I've been stuck in this ten by twin like booth? I think I immediately stopped in here and then got on the road. Just let me go see some things and do what I can. And because I know, like my my e tank will run low quickly. Like I'll do a bunch of things early, and then I'm like so exhausted. I don't want to stand in lines. I don't want to deal. So then I'll take a break. So I've been out. We've been buying figures and you know going to some panels. Saw some Street Fighter stuff. Played Street Fighter. That was exciting. That was definitely one of my goals. Uh, got to meet one of our heroes, Kevin Smith. Uh, that was another goal. And so um, I feel like, and now my third goal, I'm hanging here with Jonathan London. So my entire life is complete. I mean, I think, or at least for the weekend. Bucket list items at least. Yeah, right? yeah. Thank you. Thank you. But the flattery is not necessary. Teak, what do you got? What have you seen? What are like the highlights of the last two days? Um, so, got here yesterday. Yesterday, did mostly panels. And then um, today, has been mostly just walking the, the main floor. And um, like you said, one of the main things yesterday was Kevin Smith. We got to go to the movie, the movie's pop-up. And um, saw him do the Fat Man Beyond podcast live, which I was content, contemplating going to L.A. to go to Scum and Villainy to see it live. So, getting to be able to see it live out here, that was great. Um, and then, man, it's just been, like, overwhelming today. It's, like, so much on the main floor. I probably don't walked it, like, three or four times, and I don't think that I've seen everything yet, you know? We actually have to talk about the big news. Big news. There's big news that happened while we were in here at Comic-Con. What's the big news? I'm talking about Vince McMahon stepping down. Vince McMahon stepping down. Y'all are the wrestling fans. I just have it in family so and suppose. Over. Like, we haven't been outside, yeah, so. so so Vince McMahon stepping down. That's huge. What do y'all think of that deal? He was under a little bit of uh, hot water. Well, I will say, the power of the P wins once more. You know what I mean? Like, without getting too explicit, like sexual like infidelity has like ruined you know empires and 
and royalty and killed kings for, for centuries. So this man was not exempt uh, from the power of the P. So uh, what can I say? You, you, what is it? You play, you pay or something like that? So um, I think it's you fuck around, you find out. <laughs> Literally fuck around and what find out. Literally universe. fuck around and find out is what happened with Vince. After the other. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 this is a new day, you know, no pun intended, because I literally never thought this would happen. Uh, I thought he would die in this position, and I'm sure he probably felt that way, like, I'm going to do this until I die. And, uh, you know, life has a way of coming back at you real fast. Life comes fast. Teek, do you have a different opinion, different uh, perspective on this? Nah, man, he's been getting away with doing dirt for a long time, for with everything that's done came out, you know. Him paying chicks millions of dollars on payroll just so they can be um, private fluff girls, you know, and um, be quiet about it. Nah, that's um, that's not gonna fly. So, um, it's but it's a lot of changes going on because they said that they done went from PG to, that they're gonna be TV fourteen going forward. And I saw something else about um, Triple H going back to taking his duties on. The game and, is back uh, in the driver's seat. Yeah, no, no heart attack's gonna stop him. So, um, yeah. Time I, to play the game. <laughs> so, but it seems like um, somebody is not too happy with Vince leaving. Either that, or he's gonna, you know, take advantage of it, and that's Brock Lesnar, right? Because he. Brock <laughs> Lesnar. I think it'll be an interesting thing. I'm willing, I, I want to see something new. I'm always about to shake up. And the weird thing is, like, I think right now they're literally going through the transition as we talk. So it's like, who knows what's going to happen? Because there's no off season. There's no, like, two weeks off. They can't just cancel a game and figure this out tomorrow. It's like, no, we have a show tonight. And everything has just come out, and now we got to fix it. So uh, it'll be interesting for sure. And uh, change is good, I think. In this, you know, in this business, and I, and I, props to AEW, man. Let's not like address the elephant in the room. Like AEW putting the pressure on by putting on very great wrestling shows with very capable wrestlers. So uh, putting the pressure on and making competition once again happen in wrestling. This reminds me of when I used to flip channels back and forth from the WCW to WWF. So um, competition is great, man, and it breeds and it creates better products for us, the fans. So, yeah. Speaking of competition, we're going to have y'all uh, rap battle each other right now. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, what we're actually going to do is talk about what y'all are promoting. Tiki, you got some CDs out there. You've got the Dream Master book out here, Meg. Um, y'all got some stuff to promote. Let's talk about what y'all have been promoting. And we can include Tiki for sure on what he's got because I just talked to you because I played through Turtles several times and thought about you the entire time. What are you promoting out here? Um, right now, I'm promoting my my last album that I released. It's called Fall from Grace. So I got copies of that here at the Geekscape table, um, going for ten bucks. So you know, if anybody, I don't know, this not gonna be live probably, but you know, I'm live and we got y'all on live right now on Instagram. So y'all can come through to the Geekscape booth and pick up some table, some um, copies of the new album, Fall from Grace. He'll, he'll even sign them if you're nice. Um, yeah, I brought Sharpies. I have a literal one copy of my book remaining. It's the last copy ever. Nah, I don't know. But maybe. Just for, the, I don't know. For this weekend it is. Last copy. And we have some posters from our last event, uh, Matt Mania, that we did in Vegas. Uh, special Money in the Bank posters. Um, limited edition that we will be giving out to anybody who comes by. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. Also... When is this coming out? Tonight, tomorrow morning. I'm, I'm ripping these out so that people can come to Comic-Con with us. Okay, so Saturday, if you hear this on Saturday of Comic-Con, I have a special Stranger Things EP dropping right on your internets. You can go get it, megaramusic.com. It's seven tracks, all inspired by Stranger Things Season 4. Uh, it's called Strangers 2. I know that those numbers sound confusing, but it's the second time that I've done a Stranger Things project. So it's Strangers 2. And it's based on some of the new events of the show. Uh, check that out. It is going to be on my band camp, which is megaramusic.com. It'll be pay what you want. So support good stuff. Antique, 
if people aren't at Comic-Con but they still want to hear your music, what's the best place to send them? Um, well, my music is on all streaming services, so you can go to any DSPs and download or um, search T-Call or Bandcamp where you can actually purchase the music and help me feed myself and my children. <laughs> That's what we were doing here. Um, but instead of actually having children, I have Matt Kelly. And we are here. We got to sell Matt Kelly. We got to feed Matt Kelly. We got to sell Matt Kelly, too. There's Matt. And uh, we can sell Matt. If things get dire, we're going to sell Matt. Uh, Matt, Matt's been Matt's proven himself to be priceless so far right now because he... He's out here selling and hawking the shirts. He's, we're having a good con. Geekscapus, Mega Ran, Teak Hall, they told you where to support him. Oh, I got a question. He's got a question. Actually, for Teak, someone in the comments said, Vince McMahon diss track win. Um, too soon? <laughs> <laughs> it's too soon. He's 77 years old. Freestyle us a little flavor. Freestyle us a little something. Oh, Um. I'm not a fan. They had to put Vince McMahon in the can. <laughs> we at San Diego Comic-Con and it's jammed, packed. They put me on the spot, had to rap. <laughs> all right, all right, listen. He, he, he's just warming up. He's just warming up with the Comic-Con bars. To get more, you, you know where to go. Go support T-Call. Or come to the booth if you're here at Comic-Con. Yeah, and uh, Randall freestyle anything. He'll have you pull stuff out of your pockets and freestyle to it. Right. It'll be fun. You wear something interesting. I'll, I'll try to rap about it. And um, come get these posters. I got these limited edition tops cards and one final book. So come on through. <laughs> and Geek Tapes, we're going to come on through again. This is a day three of Comic Con. We've had some amazing guests on this one. And uh, stay tuned for some news. Next day is the big one. Saturday, we got Marvel and DC and Hall H. I've heard what Marvel is showing, but you're going to want some thoughts from the people who are sitting in Hall H. And uh, hopefully we get somebody on the show who can tell you. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a pretty damn good lineup. They are not waiting for D23 to make some major news. Okay, Geekscape, hang tight, and uh, we'll be right back. Share this episode and subscribe. Leave five, five stars, whatever you want to do. We'll bring you right back to Comic-Con tomorrow. Peace. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.